Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come before your word again this morning, we pray that you would open up our ears that we might hear your voice, open up our spirits that we might receive your Holy Spirit, and open up our eyes that we might see Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Our text this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 36 through 53. Hear now the word of the Lord. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem." You are witnesses of these things, and see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me. That these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. This morning we are concluding our 14-week journey through the Gospel of Luke. Last week we walked with Cleopas and his companion as they encountered the risen Christ on the road to Emmaus, before returning to Jerusalem to tell the others that they had seen the Lord. When they find the eleven, they were all still huddled together in their upper room, frightened that their lives might still be in great danger, perhaps even casting blame at one another for why everything had gone wrong, even as they tried to make sense of the strange stories that the women had told them that Jesus' tomb was empty. 
But then right in the middle of, of, of all this discussion and all this turmoil, suddenly Jesus himself appears right in their midst and he says to them, peace be with you. Peace be with you. That's pretty much what most of us are desperate for in our lives, isn't it? A little peace. Now, I'm not just talking about a a lack of war or violence, although certainly our world and our nation could use a little of that. No, I'm talking about peace in our souls, a sense of serenity and contentment about our lives, about our families, about our circumstances, about our country, peace about our futures and about our past. I'm talking about peace in our relationships, which may be the kind of peace that many of us need the most, peace with members of our family with whom we do not get along, peace with those who have hurt us, peace with those whom we have hurt, peace with God. And yet so often, doesn't it seem that for all that we have, and most of us have quite a lot, peace Seems about as hard to come by as a good cheeseburger at Kentucky Fried Chicken. I mean, heck, even the disciples were not at peace when they encountered and saw the risen Christ. In fact, they were terrified, thinking he was a ghost. And so Jesus says to them, hey, guys, come on, look at my scars. It's it's really me. And he offers to let them touch him just to prove that he He really was flesh and bone. But notice what the text says. In their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. Isn't that fascinating? Now, the tomb was empty. Angels had told the women that Jesus was risen. Two of them claimed that they had even encountered the risen Savior on the road to Emmaus, and now Jesus himself stands right in front of them, offering to let them touch him, and yet they still don't believe. Anyone here who thinks that if, if only you could see Jesus with your own eyes or touch him in the flesh with your own hands, that then all of your doubts would disappear, think again. The truth is, We do not believe what we see. Rather, we come to see what we have already come to believe. But just to demonstrate to them all that he really was alive and real, Jesus asks for something to eat. And so they they give him some broiled fish, and he begins to munch on it. And I just have to say, this is actually one of the most hopeful verses in the entire Bible for me. The resurrected Jesus eats. This gives me great hope that there's going to be wonderful food in heaven and delicious desserts. And spectacular wine. 
But I digress. The text then goes on to tell us that, that, that Jesus opened up the, the minds of, of all the disciples so that they might understand everything that the Bible had said about Jesus. And then he calls them to be his witnesses to all nations, proclaiming his death and resurrection and the forgiveness of sins in his name. But he tells them to remain there in Jerusalem until they become clothed with power from on high. And then after leading them out to the Mount of Olives, Jesus blesses them and then is taken up into heaven. But why would he leave them then? I mean, they had just gotten him back. I mean, they were still frightened and and confused. Their lives might even still been in great danger. Now's when they needed him most. They needed his guidance and, and his instruction. They needed his strength and his comfort and his love. Why would Jesus leave them now? It often seems that way in our lives, doesn't it? That just when we need Jesus the most, it seems as if he has left us to fend for ourselves. When we are grieving the loss of someone we have loved, when we are out of work or out of love and there are no good prospects in sight, when we are struggling to deal with difficult people in our lives or difficult issues in our lives or difficult news that we have received, when we're staring at a blank computer screen desperately praying that a sermon is going to show up before Sunday morning, it's times like these when we begin to doubt Jesus' promise to always be with us to the end of the age. In fact, often it, it, it seems that as if Jesus has simply disappeared from sight, leaving us abandoned and alone. And yet this is precisely one of the reasons why the ascension of Jesus is so important. So that we might never truly be alone again. In the Gospel of John, Jesus assures his disciples that if he goes away, he will not leave them orphaned, but that he would send them the Holy Spirit to comfort them and guide them and to, to remind them of everything that he had said to them. Through the Spirit, therefore, they would always have access to Jesus wherever they happened to be. For you see, as long as Jesus remained on earth, he could only be present in one place at a time. But by ascending into heaven where he rules over all heaven and all of earth, he can be present everywhere at once through the Holy Spirit. Therefore, once we have received his Spirit, we are never, ever alone. And the more we develop the lenses of faith, the more we believe and trust in the risen Savior, the more we begin to see that Jesus indeed is always with us. 
But Jesus also sent us His Spirit in order to empower us to carry out His mission. For not only are we to be His witnesses, we are also called to proclaim His death and resurrection to the whole world and to announce the forgiveness of sins in His name. But the only way the world is ever going to believe this good news about forgiveness in His name is if His followers actually live it. And that doesn't just mean living with the assurance, with the sure knowledge that our sins have been forgiven by God. It also means being peacemakers, living lives of grace and mercy, forgiving others as we have been forgiven. But let's be honest for a minute. Forgiveness is not our forte. But this is precisely why Jesus commanded the disciples to remain in Jerusalem until they received His power. For we are incapable of participating in His ministry of reconciliation and forgiveness on our own strength. We need help. And ten days after Jesus' ascension on the day of Pentecost, the disciples were given that help when they received the gift of the Holy Spirit who unites us to Jesus Himself, allowing the risen Savior to live in us and through us, doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves, like forgiving those with whom we are not at peace. Of course, the main thing that we are incapable of accomplishing on our own is salvation. And it is only through the resurrection and the ascension that we have the hope of eternal life, assurance that death is not the end of our story, and access into the very presence of Almighty God. Notice something else in our text. The risen Christ keeps His scars. And therefore, we know that that this is the same Jesus that we encounter in the Gospels. The Son of Mary. The same one who teaches us and heals us and forgives us and loves us. The same Jesus who died for us. In his resurrection, Jesus does not cease to be fully human. He is still one of us and one with us. And when he ascends into heaven, he takes our very humanity with him into the very life of God, opening up the way for us to enter and completing the atonement, the at one-ment of God and humanity begun in the incarnation. You see, in the incarnation, God came down to sinful humanity and became one of us. 
in the ascension, our redeemed and forgiven humanity was lifted up to God. And because we are united with the ascended Savior through the waters of baptism, not only have we died to our old sinful selves and been given new life through our union with Christ, but He has taken our life with Him into heaven. As the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 3, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You could spend a lifetime pondering that, couldn't you? But this is why the Apostle Paul can say that that our true citizenship is now in heaven because our lives are held securely there by the risen Savior who can no longer die. Therefore, death has no ultimate power over us. This is the true source of our hope of eternal life. Because Jesus Christ has joined us to himself by the Holy Spirit and taken us with him into glory, then we can rest assured that even when these bodies wear out, and they're all going to, we will still be alive with Jesus in the kingdom of God, where he reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords for all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, and he shall reign forever and ever. And that means that there is nothing that can happen in your life that is beyond his sphere of authority or his ability to redeem. It also means that it is he alone who has the last word on your life, just as he had the first. For the final judgment has been placed into his hands by the Father. And that is good news, because it means that we know the judge, the very Jesus who died for us, and who claimed us as his own in the waters of baptism, is the same Jesus who the creed says shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Jesus is both our judge and our defense attorney. And even now, he is standing before the throne of God, interceding on our behalf, offering his own perfect life and perfect prayers in place of ours, ensuring that we have peace with God. As Paul writes in Romans 8, who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, 
In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not now, not ever. Because of the ascension of Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit, the risen and reigning Savior will always be with you. Even as he continues to intercede for you in heaven so that you will always have peace with God. And if God, in his great mercy, can choose to make peace, even with sinners like you and me, then maybe, just maybe, with the Savior's help, we can choose to forgive and make peace with the people in our lives as well. May it be so. Amen.